south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came up to play. And now as I wander... Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. All right, and we're live again. Well, kind of live anyway. You long-time and dedicated listeners probably figured out already that the last show was a repeat show, meaning I couldn't get a current one out. That does happen sometimes. After all, I'm down here in the third world. Sometimes I end up in the jungle or in some area way out in the boonies and the signal is spotty or my equipment fails, whatever. And sometimes, just sometimes, I forget to pay my internet service fee. The thing is, I have an internet plan for my living quarters, but it's not in my name. I never put much in my name at all. It's a kind of nice feeling, actually. Sort of like being completely out of debt. By the way, how many of you listeners are completely, I mean utterly, out of debt? No car payment, no house payment, no student loan debt. Hey, by the way, I meet gringo expats down here, people in their 60s and even 70s who are still paying off their student loans. They're, in fact, getting it deducted from their Social Security payouts. And here, some of them thought, hey, I'll get one over on Uncle Sam. I'll move out of the country and quit paying my student loans. What are they going to do to me? Well, guess what? They take it out of your Social Security check. (laughs) How about it, though? How many of you guys and gals are completely and utterly out of debt? Well, for those of you who are, and I'm sure there's some of you, ain't that a good feeling, waking up in the morning and having nothing like that hanging over you? No nut to crack. But I digress as usual. Where were we? Oh, yeah, talking about how I don't put my name to much of anything. For example, I've got my internet and utilities in my cleaning lady's name. And I suggest you do that, too. If you treat them nice, they're glad to do it. It's no big deal for them, and it insulates you, the gringo, a lot. It's no skin off her back. She doesn't care. She just signs up for it. You pay the bill. And if, for example, you don't pay that bill because you left the country or you died or something, she doesn't get penalized at all. They just cut the service off. Now, you might be thinking something like that will ruin her credit. You know, they have credit reports down here now in a kind of rudimentary, basic, rough kind of way. Well, guess what? About 40% of Latin Americans, like cleaning ladies and people who work off the books on the street, they're not even listed in the credit bureaus at all because most of them don't have credit cards and in many cases don't even have bank accounts. Yes, in some sense, down here in Latin America, it's as if a large segment of the population is living in the 1960s or 70s. By the way, sometimes when I'm out in the boonies hauling my little laptop around, I use a hotspot off of my cell phone. You know, when there's no local Wi-Fi. The thing is, I don't have a cell phone contract plan either. I have what you call a recarga smartphone. Pay as you go. I'll bet almost none of you guys up there in the U.S., Canada, or Europe have a plan like that. You're all on a contract, right? Now, my internet plan, which, like I said, is pay as you go, is completely anonymous. That's exactly why I like it. You know who gets all the text messages and the promotions and pop-up windows and crap? People who have contract cell phone plans. Because marketers know that people with cell phone plans are in a higher socioeconomic bracket. Let's face it, Toyota, Costco, and Starbucks do not want to waste their money advertising to maids, cleaning ladies, and gardeners. So then how do you get a cell phone SIM chip for a pay-as-you-go plan? 
Well, they sell them in little tiendas, supermarkets, and hole-in-the-wall stores everywhere here in Latin America. They cost about five bucks. You shove them in your phone, and you recharge the thing every so often. I usually recharge mine about every week. So how do you do that? Well, you go into any little kiosk that's got the sticker on the door that says they recharge telephones here. In Spanish, recargas aquí. Give them my phone number and say, una recarga, por favor. And hand them, in my case, three bucks. Now, you can charge your phone up with 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 bucks if you want. Then just keep drawing on that till it's gone. 20 bucks usually lasts me almost two months. So for me, my smartphone recarga plan costs me around three bucks a week. Now, if you're worried that when you buy one of those SIM chips, they might ask you your name or want to see your passport or something, which may be the case if you go to an official kiosk that's run by the phone company like Claro. Though it's easy to avoid all that. Just give your cleaning lady 10 bucks, tell her to go buy the chip for you, and keep five for herself. Problem solved, and she'll be absolutely glad to do it. By the way, if you want to know how I keep my phone safe, from hackers and data scabs, etc., I never check my email on my phone. I never do any banking on my smartphone either. I don't even check my accounts. I never do any crypto stuff on my phone. I never activate my phone's GPS unless I'm far, far from home and I need to find some location. And when I reach that destination, I always switch it off. Now, of course, I do have WhatsApp on my phone. You absolutely have to have it or you can't find a plumber or a doctor or anybody. It's there on my phone, but I rarely use it. Though I use the Signal app almost all the time. So that's about it for my smartphone. I probably use the thing less than 10 minutes total each day. Unless, of course, I'm organizing something or having a consult call on Signal, whatever. Now, I know a lot of you guys and gals are thinking, yeah, I know, WhatsApp's compromised. It's wide open to hackers and Big Brother and not secure at all. Which is true and why I hate using it. But that Signal app that Johnny talks about and so many geeks and nerds use, that's just an NSA construct. So, obviously, Big Brother's looking at that, too. That's the rumor, right? You may have heard that. And, you know, we could go back and forth in all kinds of arguments and discussions on it. But I've got one thing to say that'll set your mind at ease. Go into your search engine. Put in, has WhatsApp ever been hacked? You'll see hundreds and hundreds of hacks and people saying, oh, no, what do I do now? My WhatsApp's been hacked. They've got my credit card numbers, my bank statements, my bachelor party dick pics, everything. Oh, lordy, lordy, I'm ruined. Okay, all right. After you've done that search, then put into your search engine, has the Signal app ever been hacked? Well, you'll see a few accusations and claims that it's been hacked, but then you'll see a number of legit articles saying it was a false alarm. Just rumors coming out of Eastern Europe. By the way, some of my super smart nerdy friends say it's misinformation actually spread by U.S. alphabet agencies. Makes sense. Government agencies hate that people are using Signal. Because they can't crack it and monitor you. In fact, there is proof that U.S. government alphabet agencies have started a disinformation campaign against Signal. You know, spread the rumors it's been hacked. Try to scare people off from using it. If you're a contrarian like me, you gotta love anything that government alphabet agencies hate. In actuality, as many times as people have tried, it's never been hacked. Go ahead, do a search if you don't believe me. But who knows in the future? If the government's going after a really big fish or they get AI involved, all bets are off. However, the really good news is that the Signal app doesn't save anything. None of your texts, voicemails, nothing. Whereas services like WhatsApp save everything. 
That means in the future, if Signal gets hacked, they'll only be able to recover real-time data, nothing that's ever been said or done in the past. That's what I like about the Signal app. It's like a chalkboard that's constantly being erased. You know, like an Etch-A-Sketch. Am I dating myself here? They still sell those things? I had one of those as a kid, did you? I remember getting an ass whooping over it, too. I was in the living room at my mom's house. I disassembled it. I used to take lots of things apart when I was a kid. Clocks, toasters, radios, my sister's chatty Kathy, and I often couldn't get them back together again. Anyway, I took apart my Etch-A-Sketch on the living room floor, spilled the little silver beads and chemicals all over my mom's carpet, ruined it. Who knows what kind of forever chemicals were packed into those things. When my dad got home, I got a whooping. My mom wouldn't whoop me. She'd just say, when your dad gets home, he's going to whoop you. And when he walked through the door, she said, John, get out the belt. Your son was a bad boy again. Yep, that's how parents of boomers disciplined their kids back in the Camelot days. Way back when there was no 800 number to call to get your parents hauled away by social services. By the way, down here in Latin America, there never has been a number for kids to call to get their parents hauled away. And guess what? When I mention to Latinos such a thing exists up in the States, they don't believe me. They think I'm lying. It seems like nothing can dissuade them from their belief in the American dream. El sueño americano. Meanwhile, down here in Latin America, they still discipline their kids the old-fashioned way. The occasional ass-whooping, when necessary. Man, I'm so glad I'm living here in Latin America. The dirty little secret is there is no American dream anymore, no sueño americano, but there certainly is a sueño latino americano, a Latin American dream. Though only Americans and first world people with half a brain seem to recognize that. Oh, and one more thing about corporal punishment here in Latin America. I have noticed that that 5% of educated upscale gringo wannabe Latinos, they're so enamored with everything gringo, they would never consent to lift a finger to discipline their little princes and princesses. They're the ones, you know, that can afford to bring their whiny-ass troublemaking kids to restaurants and let the little jerks run wild, where you can see for yourself just how the gringo attitude has contaminated their minds. All right, just a little plug here. You know, as this show first goes out on February 23rd, that means my latest expat insider seminar to be held in Guatemala and El Salvador kicks off in about two weeks. There's still time to drink from the fire hose and get in on the fun. Just go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link for all the sign-up details, etc. Speaking of ass-backward and immigration in the wrong direction, here's a revolting development for you. You can't believe what I'm hearing from every Latino and Latina I know. I'm hearing a kind of totally misplaced excitement coming from them. They all have immediate family, cousins, brothers, uncles, who are either illegal aliens up in the States or right now, presently, in illegal caravans on their way by coyote to the States or just getting their money together to make the trip up to the U.S. because they know the borders are wide open. The word is definitely out. Everyone knows it. Latinos everywhere are talking about this. And the number one thing that makes it possible, the app you love to hate, WhatsApp. I mean, look, every Latino's got a couple of down-and-out relatives who never previously would have thought to make the trip because so many people get caught and deported. Hell, I once met a guy in El Salvador who was deported six different times. You know, there used to be a risk of getting caught and deported, but everyone knows that doesn't happen anymore. They all, to a person, believe that once you're in, you're in. Oh, and they absolutely love Biden. They're hearing all this talk from candidates like Trump and Kennedy saying, vote for me and I'll slam the door shut at the border. 
So all the Latinos down here know there's an end date. They figure it's around November 2024 when the U.S. elections come. They're all thinking if Biden goes out, the wall is up. So they're not taking any chances. They're heading for the states now. Anyway, like I said, there's this energy, this excitement smoldering down here in Latin America. Every Latino I know has a friend or relative who's either in a caravan up in the states right now or getting his money together to make the trip. In all my years down here, I've never heard that kind of talk so upfront and in your face. I even know some Latinos who've got pretty good jobs and never want to leave to the States, but they're getting calls from their uncles or cousins up in New York or Jersey saying, come on up, now's your chance. I'll find you an instant husband or wife. It'll make you legal. All you got to have is about five or 6,000 bucks. There are thousands and thousands of ex illegals who are now citizens due to those amnesty programs of Clinton, Obama, Carter, Reagan, and Bush. There are millions of used-to-be illegals who are now citizens or have the residency. They've got a very lucrative scam. Offering their services, marriage services, to newly arrived illegals as long as they have the dough. I hear Latinos talking about that all the time, how there's an arranged marriage waiting for them. They just got to get their money together. By the way, regarding those amnesty programs of Clinton, Obama, Carter, and Bush, you know how those things work, don't you? At the time, the U.S. Immigration Department says if you were in the United States five years or more as an illegal, but committed no crime, had no police record, you could come down, fill in some forms, and you could automatically become a U.S. resident. And then after 10 years, with no police record or criminal convictions, you could become a citizen. Millions and millions of illegals got their citizenship and residency that way. And practically none of these people had college or even high school education. So they became part of the maid, gardener, and grunt worker class of America. And now a lot of these guys and gals are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they're open to getting married to gain five or 6,000 bucks. What a scam, huh? Why is no one reporting on this? In fact, I personally know a 29-year-old Venezuelan girl who is hooked up online with a 63, as she calls him, fat, dumpy Latino guy, a cab driver in New Jersey. She's paid the down payment on her arranged marriage, and soon enough, she'll be up in the States as a permanent resident. Then, after two years, she says, they get a divorce, and guess what? It doesn't affect her residency. He does it again with another illegal, makes another six grand. Yep, she told me she's the third wife for this guy. All ostensibly legal, of course, according to U.S. law anyway. The only kicker, she said, is you have to stay married to the guy two years. That's the probation period for your green card. And you know, for me as a gringo who grew up in a different kind of U.S. altogether, when I hear stories like that, it makes me sick. It's pathetic what the U.S. has morphed into. You know, at this point, I can mouth that oft-repeated phrase, how's your plan B coming? But I won't. Instead, I'll just say that the U.S. was a fantastic place while it lasted. Took 200 years to wreck it, but you do get what you deserve. Face it, you were stupid because you voted for those shit-for-brains psychopathic parasites who slowly but surely took the place down. So just to ask, how's your plan B coming, doesn't cut it anymore. Better to say, if you don't have a plan B by now, you're lost. All right, and more good news. How about this revolting statistic? Did you know that according to the University of Virginia National Marriage Project, United States men under 30 who were raised in a single-parent home are more likely to spend time in prison than get a college degree? According to the same study, it says fatherlessness is a better predictor of incarceration than race, religion, or growing up poor. 
So for all you fools, ninnies, and dweebs out there, i.e. you wokesters, railing on about toxic manhood and how single mothers are perfectly capable of bringing up well-adjusted children, you wokesters that bleat that a dad in the home is not necessary. Well, that might be true sometimes, but the odds, as you just have heard, are heavily against it. All right, moving on. You know, in past shows, you've heard me talk about how Latinos and Latinas often name their kids in the most peculiar way. You'd think you've heard some crazy names up in the States, especially in those ghetto communities. Now, Latin Americans give their kids oddball names, too, but with a lesser degree of craziness. By the way, parents might think it's cute to give their kid a crazy-ass name. More often than not, though, a kid will suffer. Kids will bully each other mercilessly. They will pick on any flaw or discrepancy. You know that. Meanwhile, down here in Latin America, although there are some funky names given to kids, I've found they're not nearly as crude, stupid, or pathetic as some of the names coming out of mostly the hip-hop and rap culture in the States. However, I'm old enough to remember a time way back when, when almost everyone had a normal or traditional name. Was that such a bad thing? When kids didn't have to suffer for their parents' momentary lapse into perceived cuteness? In fact, one of the first times I was confronted with sort of a laughable, crazy-ass name was in engineering school, first year. Fifty kids or so in my class, one black guy, his name was Napoleon Bonaparte Jackson. I shit you not. Was a nice guy, kind of a dim bulb for an engineer, but in fact, at one of our freshman fraternity bashes, I remember him saying to a bunch of us guys, you can call me Napoleon, call me Bonaparte, or call me Jackson, but please don't shorten them up to nappy or boner. And you know, we all cracked up. That really broke the ice. But we're talking about Latin America, right? And just when I thought I've seen it all, something else comes up. Like, for example, just in the last couple of weeks, I ran into three Latin American guys with names really out of the ordinary, but I don't think they're going to hurt them none. I mean, nothing to laugh at or poke fun of or bully though definitely memorable. First off, I was at a restaurant, and I got introduced to a little kid about seven years old. His name was Goliath Sanchez Sava. You know, like in Davy and Goliath? I'll tell you, man, lots of Daves out there. Thousands, millions of Daves. I've got hundreds of them listening to this show, but not a single Goliath. Could it be because he was the loser in that famous biblical battle? I don't know, but have you ever met a Goliath? If you think about it, not such a bad name for a kid. Everybody will remember it, that's for sure. And it's biblical. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I was at a hospital clinic sitting in the laboratory area waiting for some results. And right down the hall, there were a couple of doctor's offices. And one of the doctor's name was, get this, Hamlet Romero, as in Hamlet, you know, Shakespeare. Now, I'm certain if an American named his kid Hamlet, he would take lots of shit, especially if he was overweight. A lot of bullying, a lot of ass whooping. But down here in Latin America, apparently not. I mean, the guy's a full-fledged doctor. Obviously, the name Hamlet didn't hurt him one bit. And lastly, case number three, I took an Uber from the airport the other day. It was ripe. Smelled like a mixture of Glade and fresh ass. The cabbie's name on his little ID sticker, I'll never forget it. Geronimo Castillo. Yep, that's right. Geronimo. Now, there's a cabbie I'll never forget. Not for the stink, but for the name. And I asked the guy, does everyone call you Geronimo? Seems like a bit much. He said, nope, just call me Jerry. Moral of the story, it's not nice to your kids to get cutesy with their names. You might think you're clever, but you could permanently scar your kid. By the way, according to a book on why names matter, 
Research suggests that names influence your choice of profession, where you live, who you marry, the grades you earn, the stocks you invest in, whether you're accepted to a given school or picked for a team, even how people perceive you in a first impression. In other words, millions of parents, especially undereducated parents up in the U.S., are just plain stupid. But you knew that already, right? Just saying. By the way, once I was in Berlin a long, long time ago before the internet, when they still had phone books. Berlin has a massive phone book. They must have had six pages of John Mueller's. Though, oddly enough, not a single Hitler. Hmm. Oddly enough, no parents in Europe or America ever named their kid Adolf. Oh, except, of course, Dolph Lundgren's parents. <laughs> what do you think Dolph is short for, or Dolphy? Something to think about, huh? All right, moving on. You know, sometimes I think I'm nothing but a big failure. Why? Because still so many people write me emails saying they've got a plan B going, all right, they're going to be moving to Mexico. It's as if they listen to me but haven't really heard a single word I've been saying. Though that's okay in a twisted way, of course, because who wants millions of Americans going farther south, south of south of the border, ruining our little off-the-tourist-trail paradises? Which brings me to this newly received email from longtime listener and friend of the show, Mr. B, who's been living in Mexico for the last eight years. With eight years in Mexico under his belt, he can summarize the situation nicely. And I'll paraphrase this a bit, shorten it up. He says, hola, Johnny. Hopefully, the eternal spring altiplano climate treats you well. I'm just a bit north of the ring of fire here in the altiplano of Oaxaca State. Did I say that right? In Mexico. The weather is equally as fine, especially here in the dry season. And nope, it hasn't gotten old after the eight years my wife and I have lived here. But we do have one glaring difference between what you're experiencing in your Shangri-La of Guatemala and my Shangri-La of Mexico. And he says it's the one thing that eventually may drive us out of Mexico. You've mentioned occasionally your ownership of firearms in Guatemala and your freedom to own a bunch of them there. Problem is, Johnny, legally having a gun here in Mexico means multiple years in a squalid prison. And it's something most gringos easily just gloss over, given the great food, the pleasant people, low cost, and the magnificent Oaxaca beaches and mountainscapes here. He says on top of that, it was easy to get residency in Mexico, which made it a great deal. He says we've made local friends, gotten our favorite mechanic, have a favorite doctor, dentist, and favorite restaurants, too. Oh, and did I mention the 101 varieties of tequila? All of that positive stuff, Johnny, makes it oh so easy for us not to think at all about the self-defense aspect. The lack of being able to purchase and use firearms. Nope, we don't think about that much until at night when we're in our homes and we hear loud gunshots. Then we're suddenly reminded how truly helpless we are. Of course, here in Oaxaca, local gun ownership certainly does exist, but it's illegal, of course. Many times I've heard a high-caliber pistol go off down the street or across the field, and I've gotten out of bed being careful not to turn on any lights and quietly go outside on the porch with a machete to make sure no one's creeping up on the house. It crosses your mind that it could be some drunk lunatic or some guy on a bad meth bender, just moving through the hood kind of trigger-happy. Problem is, there isn't a damn thing I can do about it. Someone could roll up on us any time, midday or night, take their time crossing through our house, and by the time the local ineffectual small-town cops get here to our little rural spot, the crooks will be long gone. In the USA, I was always a gun owner and responsibly used and maintained them. 
but there's just no option for that here in Mexico. Then he says, examples abound around here of disarmed civilians, gringos and locals, being jacked. A few years ago, for example, a gringo couple we know, farther out in the countryside, in a custom spread, had three guys bust into their house at midday. They tied them up with lamp cords, took their time ransacking the place, and took everything. Now those folks live behind a seven-foot razor wire top fence with a custom security gate. Certainly an efficient solution, but in the end, is that any kind of way to live? Then he says there's the tragic devolution of peace in the neighboring Chiapas state, down south on the Guatemalan border, where over the past few years drug cartels have moved in and virtually terrorized and destroyed local communities. All of that with almost no response from the local and federal police forces. And the local population, they arm themselves, even if it is illegal. Yep, that's right, they arm themselves whenever possible and stick up for their rights and whatever freedom they can. So in the end, he says, being disarmed in a land of heavily armed criminals is, to me, a basic admission of stupidity and abdication of personal responsibility. Whatever happened to personal safety and the protection of private property? And that, Johnny, is the main reason we may finally have to move out of Mexico because it's not getting any better. He says, so far, our place is relatively off the main cartel business corridors, but the overall national trend is not comforting. It's so very easy to just put it out of your mind. Go buy a six-pack, sit with the neighbors on the porch, play some music, and light a fire, look at the stars, have a tequila party. Though it's better to keep your eyes open and try to stay one step ahead of problems. My advice, if you're looking to escape the Gulag USA, don't choose Mexico as your plan B in the first place. Better to follow your example, Johnny, and fortify your homestead with some real firepower. Real guns with some firepower, not mace and machetes. Yes, you guys got it going on there in Guatemala. Shining example of gringos who are not going to take any hoodlum crap. I admire folks who are unafraid to exact some Uncle Sam-style frontier justice, if the occasion arises. Unfortunately, he says this will not happen up here in Mexico. Tough talk and 30 pesos will get you a good cup of coffee, though. One question, though, Johnny. Can we count on you guys to storm up here with said devastating firepower when armed thugs arrive at my front door here in Oaxaca? You know, good neighbor policy and all that. Anyway, Johnny, best wishes from the Altiplano land of eternal spring here in Oaxaca. Well, thanks for that, Mr. B. Sounds like a job for the neighborhood watch. As long as the federales at the border don't frisk us, we'll be right over. Can't promise how fast we'll get there due to manana time and all that. So, in the meantime, put your Rottweiler and Doberman on a diet. Keep them hungry. At least until the cavalry arrives. But seriously, Mr. B., in Guatemala, I believe you're allowed to have up to 12 guns. Personally, I don't need that many. Just three have been fine for me. A 12-gauge shotgun, a pistol, usually 9 mil, and a 22 long rifle with a scope for varmints. By the way, if any of you guys and gals out there want a copy of the Guatemalan official firearms laws and regs, just send me an email, files at gmail.com. Owen. To own a firearm or two or three or 12, you have to be a citizen or have permanent residency. Yet another good reason to get your residency going, huh?
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long Expat Insider Seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.